Have you ever felt you were all by yourself? You're going upstream. You're going against the current. You're the only one that's going in the wrong direction. I know you felt that way. Let me tell you something. You are not alone. Hi, this is Mike Richardson. Sitting across the table for me is Matt Nussbaum, pastor of the Exodus Church in Bloomington, Indiana. We're here to tell you we're not alone. You may be going upstream, but you're not alone. Matt, this is the first podcast that you have tried out on your own. Talk a little bit. It was like, why are you going to do a podcast and why do you call it upstream? Yeah, upstream is uh, essentially because that that's the best one word to describe uh, the life, the ministry, and the mission of Jesus. Now, what do you mean by that? The, the one word that best describes uh, Jesus? I, I mean, the way I like to say it at times is uh, Jesus was always challenging the status quo. We tend to read the Gospels and, and think that Jesus was going around the countryside reading poetry or being like <laughs> Mr. or being like Mr. Rogers and just nice with kids. But almost every scene of the New Testament stories about Jesus, or many of them at least, had a great deal of tension because Jesus was saying and doing things against the status quo, the way things were. And he was always going upstream, not for the sake of being a rebel, but for the sake of opening up the eyes of people, they could see God more clearly and more easily. All right, so you got all these these Pharisees that was going on there, and now Jesus comes along. He's the rebel. He's the upstream guy, right? He's against the current he, he's, status he's quo. He's the upstream guy because he's destroying uh, the spirit of religiosity, which existed then and it exists today. Okay, and how does that do anything for us here in 2020? I mean, what, what, what are we supposed to take encouragement that we too can be rebels or what are we, what are we trying to get across here I, I think the whole the whole point is not that we can be rebels but that but that Jesus modeled himself what it means to be upstream and he was opening a way for us and most of us have our our own experience of sitting in church or listening to things religious or whatever and we keep thinking this doesn't sound like Jesus to me this sounds like religion to me oh. and I think a lot of people are worn out uh, you and I both have stories. We're worn out by religion, uh, but most people aren't worn out by Jesus. Most people are still enamored with him, curious about him, want to know more about him. So this whole idea of being upstream is, is really built, the, the whole term is about the mission, the purpose, and the whole what Jesus is all about. So this is not about Christianity as a religion. This is not about being good moral people. This is about what does it mean uh, how does Jesus, how does the spirit of Jesus work in our lives in these kind of ways? You know, I'm reminded of a story that is in John chapter two. You remember when Jesus, um, he walked into the temple and I, you know, I don't know the background. Maybe you can walk us through that, but it's the whole classic. He walked into the temple. He was angry and he started kicking over the tables and chairs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, would you consider that? That's kind of non-status quo upstream it's, stuff, right? It's perhaps my favorite story of the Gospels, primarily because this is a Jesus that when we unpack this story, it's a Jesus that I think uh, I think particularly men can relate to because this Jesus is not soft. I had somebody tell me one time, I knew an I, a guy who wrestled at IU, and he said his teammates told him one time, don't get too serious about this Jesus stuff because it'll make you soft. Oh. You know? and, and I told him, I said, well... Read John chapter 2, 13 to 16, and tell me if this is Jesus in this story is soft. Soft meaning kind of impassive. He's a wuss. He's, yes, exactly. Right. And so so this story, let me give you the background on this. Every uh, every time there was a festival, a religious festival in, uh, in Jerusalem, this particular one was Passover, every good Jew had to go 
uh, to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice. A sacrifice, give a temple tax. But it was essentially, the big picture here is, the temple was a place for ordinary people to experience God. That was the whole point. That's why the Old Testament, and uh, when, when the temple was uh, uh, dedicated, it was a place where people could know, hear, and for, and be forgiven by God. It was a place for ordinary people like you and, you and I, Mike, to, to hear God, to be experience God. So that's the, that's the important thing to remember. The temple was meant to be a place for ordinary people to experience God. Okay. What was happening was not that. What was going on there? What, well, what, what was going on is if, if, if you and I were living up in Nazareth and we had to go down to Jerusalem, we'd had to, we have to have a, a animal to sacrifice. We had to have a temple tax and had to be in the coinage of that area. So we didn't have those things. We didn't, we couldn't throw the sheep in the back of our minivan and grab. Right, right. We had to go, and then we had to go use our own money to buy something to sacrifice and to exchange in coins. So at that point, that they, that was a good thing. It was a good intention. They were trying to help people to be able to go into the temple area and experience God with their sacrifices. So it started with good intentions, which is true, again, with a lot of our lives spiritually. We may start with some things that are good intentions, but in this case, it goes bad because it wasn't just buying and selling and helping them buy things. It was extremely extorted prices and things like that. Okay, so, so you're telling me that, because I think a lot of us have been in the church forever. When we see read this story, we're thinking that this market that's in the temple, these guys are selling, you know, um, one-winged doves, yeah. uh, three-legged lambs, you know, the lambs that's got scurvy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. Over. Okay, but you're saying that it was actually constructed that was to be a help it was to, to help those, those who, who did who traveled from so far away. And the only place you could get those coins for the temple tax was in the temple. So in the you temple. had to exchange the coins. So you had to do the exchange. But instead of being, you know, giving you a dollar for a dollar, it was giving you a dollar and you'd only get 25 cents. Yeah, and instead of a sheep costing you $20, which it would back home, it was charging you 100 bucks. Okay, so they and were, it, I mean, they were extortionists. It was extortionists and they were, and essentially, again, the big idea is the temple is a place for ordinary people to experience God, to be here and be forgiven they were standing in the way with that and so the ordinary people couldn't afford what was going on no. here and so what was happening was people were blocked from experiencing god in the way god wanted them to and jesus does not tolerate anything that stands in the way of ordinary people experiencing god so then jesus shows up and looks at what's going on here and he's seeing the average people either they're being raped monetarily yes and having to, to sacrifice huge amounts or they simply can't get in and Jesus came for the masses. And so then what's he do? He say, hey, boys and girls, stop here. We need to start charging regular prices. Or what does he do? Yeah, he wasn't He wasn't a, a nice guy about it. And you'll yeah. notice <laughs> niceness is never an attribute of God in the Bible. God is not nice. He's kind. And uh, But in this case, what's if you, if you read the story from John chapter 2, and the story is repeated in other parts of the Gospels, but it actually says Jesus made a whip from some cords that he found. So he was very intentional. This wasn't like a spontaneous, out of control anger, but he was very fierce and very intentional. And he didn't whip the people. He used the whip to drive out the animals and flipped over tables. He was he was quite aggressive. I tell people he never stopped being kind, but he was fierce because again, he will not tolerate anything that stands in the way of ordinary people connecting with God. See, I'm looking at that and most of the time we think that Jesus is walking along, he gets to the temple and he sees what's going on and there just happens to be a donkey sitting there with a whip on the sides of it. And so he grabs this whip and says, I'm gonna take care of this. But you're saying that the scripture says, 
that he took the time and he made the yeah. the weapon of choice. He made this himself because he was knew that when he got this done, he was he was going in after him. Yeah, and and we the, the clear assumption is Jesus had been down to the temple many times for their festivals. He had probably already seen this stuff happening. Yeah, yeah. And this apparently was the time that he knew he had to act. And uh, so the, the Bible tells us he made a whip from cords and chased them out. And I want you to kind of imagine Jesus right now. Because he wasn't, uh, to do that, to chase out and make a whip, he was a little bit wild. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't, he, and somebody, I, 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 if you and I would have been disciples watching this happen, I might have elbowed you and said, gee, what, what's going on here? I mean, we might have been excited, but also we've never seen him this way before. So, I mean, what do you think that people are thinking? I mean, think about this. You got guys that have been following Jesus. I don't know what the time frame is and where this took place, how long the people were going on there. But you guys, these guys have been following Jesus. There are some people that just barely heard of the name Jesus, and then you've got the money changers that are in there. They know of Jesus. What in the world is going on through these people's minds? Well, I think for people like you and me, if we would have been the disciples, I'm, I'm not necessarily. We're, I'm not going to assume we're always in that part of the camp but we might have been a little bit shocked because jesus hadn't done this yet if you and i were with the pharisees which again we can always be pharisees oh sure we would have been incredibly angry and offended like what is he doing who does he think he is because he's just cut out our prophet our our way of yeah because they had authorized all this to happen and they were probably making a little cut of the prophet and because they thought it was okay so but he's also he's messing with our uh, our status quo, we like the way it is, and Jesus is messing with it, and so they were angry. They were but, angry at him. I mean, do we got this class warfare thing going on? The Pharisees, they're in control. They, they're making all the rules. They're making all the laws. They're the ones that's making all the money off of this, and we got this poor saps down here that we don't have slice idea what's going on. I mean... Yeah, I, I, well, I think you if, you if you categorize the Pharisees as people who had what I would call the spirit of religiosity, which, again, I always want to remind people don't ever read those stories and never think you could be a Pharisee because we all have Pharisee inside of us. Right. So we always have to understand that. So they, they were so, the spirit of religiosity, spiritual pride was so, they were dripping with it so much. So when Jesus comes and starts messing with their system, they know he's really messing with them mm -hmm. and he's exposing things about them and they did not like that at all. So the disciples and the average people were probably a little bit shocked, but also a little bit like, this is kind of cool. He's giving it to the man. Right? <laughs> but well, no, I can see that. I mean, depending on your point of view, depending on your your reference, your lifestyle. I mean, you, I can totally see how you would. Yes, yes. But at the same time, let's be honest. You could also be like, oh my word, here he goes, here he goes again. He just can't leave it alone. Which meant they didn't understand it because this passage even ends. It says. Uh, they remembered that it was said about him, zeal for my father's house will consume me. Mm -hmm. So Jesus was zealous here. He was passionate. But again, he wasn't just, it wasn't just an angry tirade. It was anger for the sake of protecting the opportunity for ordinary people to experience God. That's what I keep wondering. I want to remind people of that. Jesus wasn't just, just wasn't an angry tirade to make a point with the Pharisees. He was angry because this spirit of religiosity was keeping ordinary people from having a life-giving, 
conversational relationship with God, which is what the temple is expected to do. And those things happen today, too. That There's all kinds of things that stand in the way of us getting to know God because we've let religion get in the way. What am I supposed to take out of this? Am I supposed to be like Jesus, start walking into our local churches and angry and all the guys that are in it for the money? Am I supposed to be the disciples who are scared? Am I supposed to be the Pharisees who are angry? What does this mean to me? You're going to preach. What is this? I think what I want people, what I think I want people to see, and I want to, we call this upstream. So these first couple podcasts might be more of stories about Jesus, but we're going to go into the next couple. I mean, next couple podcasts might be about other issues pertaining to uh, the the church and how do, how are we supposed to be the church? And sometimes you have to go upstream in the spirit of Jesus and kind of push back on things. And so in, in this situation, I don't think the point is necessarily to be, I'm not supposed to relate to the disciples or to the Pharisees. I just want people to see the character of Jesus. I want people to see his passion, his fierceness, his intentionality. And again, he is passionate in this story about the fact that temple is a place for ordinary people to experience God. And it wasn't happening. And Jesus won't tolerate anything that stands in the way of an ordinary person like you or I experiencing God. So he's he's passionate about our connection with God. That's what I want people to understand from this story. Okay, so this is not um, we need to act like Jesus or we need to act like the Pharisees or act like this. There is no right or wrong way to act with what you're saying about this. We're trying to see the character of Christ, his against the status quo. Yeah, and I would even say, and I'll, I, this is where I'll, I, I push this on from this story. Jesus won't tolerate anything that keeps people from experiencing God. That starts with me. He won't tolerate anything in my life that keeps me from the full, full of joy, full of peace relationship with God that he knows I'm meant to have. For example, there was a time in my life, I remember one time when I, had, I really had issues with pride. And I think God exposed me in some certain ways, some pride issues in my life, because Jesus won't tolerate that in me because he wants more for me in my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So I tell people, understand the spirit of Jesus in this story, but first and foremost, the application has to be to you, because he doesn't tolerate things in our lives that keep us from experiencing God fully. Not because he's just slapping us down, he wants way more for us in our relationship with God than we've ever imagined. He just knows there is way more that God has designed for us. Freedom, joy, peace, fullness of of, uh, courage and strength. That's what he wants for us. He doesn't tolerate anything in our lives. He doesn't tolerate, yes, he doesn't tolerate that in the church, and he shouldn't, but it starts with individuals understanding how passionate Jesus is about you and I as ordinary people having life-giving connections with God, and he won't tolerate anything in the way because he loves us too much to do that. I love the fact on this story that maybe you are one of those I hate to call it Pharisees, Matt. I mean, you know what? But I mean, one of those guys who's been in the the church, been in you know in the way for a long time. You've got this massive amount of tradition. This is the way we've always done it. And then you can kind of get this kind of thing when someone new comes in and says, "Hey, we should probably start this, reaching out to people." But we've never done that before. So you can see the arrogance and pride that that easily the Pharisees had because you're going against the status quo, right? Yes. And Jesus is coming. It's like no. We got to no, we're changing things here. Yes. Right. And and we don't like change. And here's here's the phrase I'm going to kind of highlight in this that that I love to talk about Jesus in this way. Jesus is a dangerously good man. And here's how what I mean by that. <laughs> a dangerous person 
is always somebody who challenges the status quo. Al Capone's yeah. dangerous. Al Capone's dangerous in a really bad way. Jesus challenges the status quo because he wants good for others. He does it on the behalf of others. He's a dangerously good man. And I think every single man alive would rather be described that way. Like, for example, if I said to you, Mike, if I if I knew somebody that knew you and I'd say, well, I know, I know Mike Richardson. He's a really nice guy. That's one option. Or if I said, <laughs> I know Mike Richardson, he's kind of a dangerous guy, but in a really good way. Which of those two would you rather my answer be? <laughs> you, who, who, who aspires in the church to become a really nice guy? We love if somebody would say, ah, oh, that Mike Richardson, he's a dangerous guy, but in a really good way. Because that's what Jesus is. And there's not a woman alive that doesn't want to be with a man who's that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Women don't want to be around nice guys. <laughs> so, but I, so I, so Jesus was a dangerously good man. That's why they wanted to kill him. They didn't kill him because he was too nice. They killed him because he was dangerous. People loved him because he was good. So he was a dangerously good man. He wants any of his followers, male or female, to be dangerously good people. Dangerous mean sometimes we have to challenge the status quo, whether it's in our own hearts. Maybe it is within the environment we're in spiritually, but it's always for the well-being of others, not out of selfish ambition or you know any kind of self-centered serving things. But Jesus is always wanting to be dangerous challenging things but to be bring goodness into those things so he is the original and the only dangerously good man and that's what he wants for all of us i think it's interesting that we're talking about this coming off of the, at the time of this airing we're coming off of uh, into the election season where you've got the status quo in washington then you've got this outsider of the president who who seems to be rattling a lot of feathers and he's got a lot of supporters but yet the status quo has supporters matt there's tension in the air there's tension in the church there's tension in our country is there anything in this story that tells us how we should respond should we with our fist up in the air you go jesus you tell those guys or should we be cowering being ashamed it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? Just leave the status quo alone. Or should we belong? I mean, is there anything here that we can tie in? I mean, I'm I'm pushing back on this a little no, bit. No, I, I, I would say this. I don't think Jesus ultimately cares about who wins the who won the U.S. election. I don't think that's the primary thing on God's mind. I think God cares about his church. Yes. He cares about his people. And this, this is for people who are in the church. In other words, people have the spirit of God in them. And so, if anything, we should be even more resolved every time we have an election, no matter who wins, your guy or the other guy or other gal, is that there, there will never be peace in your life or on earth or in our country until Jesus is the ruler of our hearts. There you and go. And so the, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, neither one of us, neither one of them are going to eliminate hate from the American culture because hate is a spiritual issue, not a political issue. So I, I, I want this story uh, to let help people understand how incredibly unique, dangerous, good, and brilliant Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And there's no one else is going to change the culture. No one else is going to change your heart. Uh, so just recently, I was uh, in our downtown area of Bloomington, Indiana. We're a college town, so it's a lot of there's a lot of political tension here. <laughs> and there was a there was a rally going on downtown, and it was the. Uh, 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 support the police versus uh, defund the police oh, kind right. of rally. And I was just watching. I was riding my bike, and I happened to become along it. And I was stopped there, and a college student turned to me and said, are you from Bloomington? And I said, yeah. And he said, which side are you on? 
<laughs> and I thought, well, I, and I stopped and I said, well, I'm going to tell you my, my honest answer. And I was kind of shocked even I was willing to say this. I said, I'm not on either side. I said, I'm the side of a guy named Jesus because he's the only one that's going to remove hate from the world. And this, the, the guy looked at me like, oh, that's a cool answer. But I honestly believe that. Yeah. And not, it, yeah. As, as long as we in the church keep thinking that Republicans or Democrats, are, if they're going to make life easier for us, only when Jesus is on the throne. And I, I tell people this too. If every one of your candidates won, every single one, down the ticket, everybody you voted for won, is that going to make you a more peaceful, joyful, kind, forgiving, generous person? No. No, That man. doesn't change you. No. So we put way too much hope in the political process to, to, to change our lives, but it doesn't. What changes our lives is this radical, good, wild, dangerous, brilliant man named Jesus. You know, status quo would be to get angry if your side loses. Absolutely. Okay, that's the status that's quo. That's easy to do. That's easy to do. So as we wind this podcast up, I think if we're going to be radical like Jesus, let's break the status quo. I don't mean go knock heads and knock tables over. Let's try loving our enemies for a change, Matt. What do you think about that? That's upstream. Absolutely. And that's exactly, it's funny because actually that when I told that guy at the street corner in Bloomington, I said, because Jesus was the one who said, love your enemies and do good to those to hate you. And I said, only when we do that, and we can only do that with a supernatural report, resource from Jesus, only when that's true will these will these conflicts stop happening. Absolutely. So. All right. We're going to wrap this one up. Thanks again for taking the time to tune in to Upstream. I don't know how often we'll put this out. I guess as often as Matt says. But anyway, <laughs> thank you for tuning in, and we hope to see you next time. <laughs>